0: how you go about it. Do you ask it on the beginning or do you pepper questions throughout? you start more with report building and talking about the weather while other sales trainers like never talk about the weather? you know. And so like, I really don't care how you go about it. I just need these five things to figure out on the first call. Right? And then on the second call, like these are the things you need to figure out, but you can do it however you want, right? Because a big part of sales, which is the thing I love the most, is the interaction part. It's the storytelling, it's the engagement. Now that we're doing it on video, it's not nearly the same. Because you don't walk out of a Zoom call, and even though you think you've crushed it, and you're like, oh my God, this was amazing. It's not the same as if you were in person. You go in to see a huge customer or a prospect, and you're there, you present, and you're going in person, and you have that connection, and then you walk out, you're like, oh, you feel like a million bucks. That was so exciting. I don't get the same from the Zoom call.
1: Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Olivier Lave. He's the president of Metadata.io. And this episode, I talk with Olivier about the challenges of growing sales teams at high-growth companies, which is something that Olivier has successfully done multiple times, including at G2 Crowd. Now, in particular, we're going to dig into some of the challenges of recruiting and hiring and onboarding during this very uncertain era that we're in. And we also dive into the topic of performance improvement, meaning how do we train and coach improved performance in individual sellers? And then perhaps we go even more interesting, we go deep onto how to improve sales manager performance. Because research has shown that effective management and coaching has the biggest impact, positive impact, on individual sales performance. So we get into what needs to be done to help managers rise to the task to help their people improve their performance. So stick around. This is another fun, fun conversation. Before we get to Olivier, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Olivier, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to talk to you again. It's been a while. Yeah. So It has. Yeah, so... Um, seems like we run into each other at events, and they're no longer events, so we don't run into each other. Um, Where have you been sheltering in place?
0: I've been sheltering in place uh, at my house in Lafayette, uh, which is in the East Bay in the the Bay Area.
1: Yeah. And you've got three young kids at home, so that has to have been crazy.
0: It's been very interesting, Um, and school's been out for a little while for them, so uh, they have a lot more free time, and Unfortunately, I want to send them outside and play with their friends, but um, it's, uh, <laughs> it's been difficult. Luckily, our seven-year-old has a uh, one of his good buddies living across the street, so that's uh, that's good. And, and uh, my twelve-year-old uh, is now becoming a, a master video game player, and he's on the phone playing with his buddies all day. So, trying to limit it's hard, but doing our best.
1: Yeah, well, I was going to ask that question because my kids are, as you know, they're they're old. And out of the house is so. What are you doing, world? For like, you know, play dates or you know, just kids going out and playing as parents. What are you? What are you thinking? Like, you know, they want to go out and play with the friends on the street.
0: Yeah. Well, my uh, my twelve year old says he's he's tried to uh, connect with his buddies, but uh, some of the parents um, aren't certain about you know engaging with new families and creating new bubbles, and so right they they play online uh, videos and so there's a bunch of games. They got their headsets on and they're just chatting with each other. Uh, which is good. So we just try to limit, you know, the video game activity for half of the day and then the other half um is uh is doing, you know, creative stuff, um such, you know, playing outside, playing basketball, art, reading, so
1: yeah. forth. And is your wife working as well?
0: Uh yeah, part-time. Um she's working um so we're, we're trying to juggle uh both of, you know, both the kids and, and the jobs, which is uh it's challenging, but it's fun. Uh, I haven't spent this much time at home, um, you know, probably in the last ten years, and so it's been nice not to have to go on the road and go yeah. to trade shows and things like that. Um, so I'm sorry about the noise. Um, okay, I think we'll be good.
1: My apologies. <laughs> no, that's probably. Like I said when everybody's at home, these things these things happen. I mean, it's you know we're not in studios. It's yeah, you know, we joke because yeah, you know, my wife and I are. Dueling, you know, Zoom calls most of the time, and plus, uh, and when we we're in our New York apartment, yeah, you know, if, if I was recording these interviews and she was teaching a class for, she's a med school professor, is is uh, she was teaching from the bathroom sometimes, <laughs> or vice versa. So, our shower curtain became quite famous. Um, so, yeah, it's just different different times. So, along those lines, so what do you think is the Biggest lesson you've or thing you've learned about yourself during the shutdown period?
0: Uh, There's a few. Um, One of them is I've always been a a big proponent of having building teams and having people work in the office. Um, And I think I've changed my mind on you know requiring employees to show up to the office and then only hiring employees that could be in, in one of the office locations. Um, so you know, I, when I was a G two for four years, I pretty much only hired people in Chicago or San Francisco. And right. If you wanted to work in the company, we would you'd have to move to either city. Um, otherwise, we wouldn't consider it. And that was just based on my experience earlier in my career at Glassdoor, where we hired a bunch of you know enterprise reps across the country, and it didn't work out. Um, and that's just because they couldn't learn about you know how to sell the product and so on. And I think. From a technology standpoint, things have really improved, where collaboration is much easier. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still hard to hire somebody. And, but we've we've done a pretty good job of onboarding and hiring people here over the last you know four months or so, and we haven't noticed you know much difference than you know people that get onboarded in the office. And so now I think that moving forward, and I mean we're still pretty small, uh, but you know the thirty some of the people that we have in the company. I'd say that, you know, 20 of them are remote um, and I think that will probably remain that way. And so we'll have our headquarters in San Francisco and we'll probably, you know, um, in the Bay Area, we'll probably have like 10 to 12 people, uh, but it's not required to go to the office. Uh, but we do try to do things where we have morning check-ins. Mm-hmm. So the, the sales team will have a morning check-in, the customer success and ad ops team will have a separate um, morning check-in. And then we try to do happy hours, virtual happy hours on Fridays, you know, two three times a month, uh, which is just a. And then we have a theme every uh, happy hour, and then somebody else in the company is hosting that happy hour, and so it makes it fun. So um, and it gives an opportunity for everybody to connect, even though you know can't really connect in person anymore.
1: Yeah. Well, so I want to dig into that a little bit. So as you said before, you you wanted people. You know, who could work in the office because obviously you felt there was a huge benefit from just ex- sharing of information, experience, and knowledge um, among the sales team. But you have to be intentional, I guess. Now, what you're saying about how to make sure you you replicate that experience because that sharing is still hugely important.
0: It is. It is. So we do we do a couple of things. Um, well, I mean, one, one is you know we have like you know Slack, so people have questions. It's coming up pretty quickly. Um, we've also purchased an LMS system. So we're, Mm -hmm. you know, we're about to, you know, we just closed the series a and so we're, we're growing really rapidly right now. And, you know, we're probably double headcount,
1: you know, right.
0: Or at least 50% increase in headcount in the next six to 12 months. And so what we're doing is really setting up the infrastructure with like a LMS, right. Learning management system and setting up all the processes and everything. So that. Even though people are not in the office, um, they still, you know, can show up, you know, to their desk at their home and say, here's my framework, right? I'm gonna spend X amount of time listening to pre-recorded sales calls. Um, and then I'm going to go into the LMS and I'm gonna do some work there and record myself, practice my pitch and so on. And you still have the ability to see how somebody is developing based on you know the the, the work that they're doing. And you can track a lot of it, right? It's like how many videos did they watch. Mm-hmm. Three times a day, you know, re- record their pitch and so on, and so you can still get pretty good insights into how effective the um, new hire is at, at developing. Um, and so, I love the fact that nowadays we don't necessarily need to be in office um, as we used to.
1: Right. Well, so uh, following on to that, then, as you said, you're you're adding people to the team. Is how does that affect how you're hiring? Well. In yeah. terms of the person, not just the process, but also the person, the type of person you're looking for, because if you be less office centric, let's say, um, and I, this this came up, I was reading something I don't know yesterday or today about uh, some webinar being put on where people talking about you know hiring s- sellers and saying, hey, you know, this is a time where uh, they called it the death of the generalist. Um, and I thought, hmm. hmm. <laughs> Is that really the case? So we won't get into that. But in general, just how's your hiring changing in terms of what you're looking for?
0: Yeah. So um, I'm hiring a lot of people I've worked with in the past. Currently, mm-hmm. um, so I've been in you know doing startups for a while now, and so right. a good network of people that have hired um, over the years. And so uh, a lot of those people have you know reached out and said, "Hey, I'm interested in, in considering." So one of the things. So we had one salesperson when I, I started, and now we're up to five. And we're hiring a couple more, but most of them have come from my network and people I've worked with in the past. Obviously, as we keep scaling, I mean, it's not going to be doable, but right now, um, you know, we're still a very small, nimble team and and everyone has already worked together on the sales side and even maybe on the customer success side as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And so right now it's pretty easy. But as we keep growing, it'll be interesting to see um, how to hire people that, no one knows in the company and how do you get them to be part of the culture? Uh, right. Cause it's really easy when you, everyone knows each other. Um, and, but when you don't and you come out and you're, you know, the only employee that's new, that's in a different town, don't know anybody in the company. How do you get them to be part of the culture and feel confident about engaging with people and so on? That's something that I don't, you know, I haven't had to deal with yet. We haven't had to deal with yet. And it'll be interesting to see how it, it works. But right now we have, we're probably hiring another four people on our revenue teams in the next uh, few weeks this month. And most of them, the ones that are pretty far along in the interview process are people that we have worked with or know pretty well. Um, and so our, our thoughts is we're going to keep doing that uh, while we can still get really good quality based on our network. Uh, mm-hmm. Eventually, um, that will be something that we'll have to do. And one of the things I'm thinking is we're probably going to have to hire you know, we don't have HR internally right now, um, but we'll have to hire you know somebody from HR, and you know part of you know the job description will be you know maintaining a remote culture and and you know right. all of the ways that you need to involve that. So we do pulse surveys quite often uh, with the sales team and uh, every employee in the company actually. Um, you know, where are you at? Let's go. It's like an NPS and like what can we right. hire. We do those pretty uh, frequently every couple of weeks, I think. Um, And we'll keep doing that. And we're talking about, you know, doing remote performance reviews now and, and um, you know, we have our check-ins and I make sure that every time we have interactions as a team, like the happy hour or the morning check-ins, the camera's always on. I've always been a early adopter with turning your camera on when you're having a conversation with anybody. And that's something that um, now there's a lot of stats around, you know, having your video, even if, you know, the prospect doesn't have your video. If you have your video, your conversion rates are going to be much better. And so, um, I think people are now getting more accustomed to just being on camera. You know, for half the day.
1: Yeah, I I agree, hundred percent. I mean, I, I even though ironically we're recording this audio only, but we did see each other with video <laughs> first. But I'm the same thing. Is yeah, even if the even if the the prospect doesn't have their camera on, I'll have mine on. Okay. And I found that. I don't necessarily use the word shame, but it sort of shames them into turning their camera on. <laughs> yeah. And and so, you know, because there's just a sense of of unease and and people think, well, this this isn't in balance for some reason. So yeah, I'll turn my camera on. But I think if anything, this pandemic has served the purpose of people finding out that they don't need to do the hair, they don't need to dress up, they don't need to, you know, because we all have our shower curtains, our bedrooms, so as our backdrops, and you know, perfection in this regard, no one expects it. Yeah. And so it's really just about seeing the person and not worried about what the background is. Totally, totally agree with that. But I did want to follow up on one question, though. So, for the, you're hiring people, by and large, you said right now, out of your network, people you've known. But I was curious because I wanted to ask you about this because this had triggered my thinking about this, these people advocating on this webinar that, you know, this is the era of the death of the generalist in sales. And, um, yeah, I just wonder what your thought is about that because, yeah, I, I've, I've sort of gone back and forth over the course of my career. I, I am the generalist in many respects, mm-hmm. um, even though I worked in tech until starting my own company 20 years ago, worked in tech complex technical fields, and I was a history major. What did I know about technology? But I, you know, self-educated, but I was, yeah, I was, I knew when I had to bring the specialist in, right, um, to help me. I mean, in your business, I mean, what would what, what a specialist be?
0: So, for I mean we're a Martech so so what we do is we automate demand generation for B two B essentially uh, you know we use machine learning and things like that mm-hmm. um, so that we can create mar- um, you know, marketing campaigns and then we we tweak them based on the conversions that are happening clicks and so on and how it's. Um, progressing through, you know, the marketing automation and the CRM, and is a you know opportunities being created and so on. So we have an, an entire platform that is just builds demand generation, and right. like the, the middleware to the tech stack. And so what we're doing right now is I'm hiring people that you know know marketing. Um, and so I am definitely not hiring generalists currently because we're still very small and you know we're growing. And so I'm mm-hmm. for individuals that have experience in marketing technology. Right. And not willing to, to look outside of that. In the future I definitely think that you know we'll look outside of it. But right now I want people to have a you know somewhat of a Rolodex of talking you know sold CMOs and VPs of marketing. It's a very, you know, competitive space. There's I don't know like eight thousand Martech companies. <laughs> but no one really does at least at least, yeah, that's right. Uh, but nobody does exactly what we do because we use um, AI to Automate demand generation, and all of the other platforms are are workflow tools where you you know you need a human to work the tool. And mm-hmm. that is, you just let the the machine do the work, which is really cool. Um, well, this is one of the reasons I, I came on board with the company because I've been in the space for seven years, and this is by far the best tool I've been able to see creating demand for for B two B companies. And so we are looking for people who have a background in it so they can explain it. Because um, if you don't understand, you know, uh, MQLs and SQLs and marketing funnels and double funnels and all of that, it's going to take a lot longer specifically mm-hmm. to promote, right? Uh, like we have to train you about what is, you know, marketing and so on. And so I'm looking for you know, exclusively right now, people who have sold, you know, half million, million dollar deals historically to marketing um, leaders. And that's that's really what we're looking for. So I agree with the sentiment like the generalists right now
1: it's not something that we're looking for. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's I, I go back and forth because I think they're I think it's our sort of situation specific, but but yeah, you know, I also think sometimes people don't think deeply enough about the fact that there are some people who are I consider sales specialists, right? Is is yeah. they're people who are students of the profession. They've They've you know taken the classes. They've you know had deep experience. They buttress and you know support that with you know, reading books and you know listening to videos or watching videos, listening to podcasts, getting certified in certain things. And it's like, well, yeah, these people they may be generalists in an industry perspective, but they are sales specialists. And what are we asking people to be? Yeah.
0: Well, it depends on the role, right? Um... Yeah. But at the end of the day, we're you know, we're asking people to have conversations uh, with right. customers and prospects, and and try to solve their their, their problems. Everybody's right. uh, issues and the, trying to resolve, and our job is to try to make that as easy as possible.
1: Yeah, and that's why I, I was saying for sales specialists. Is, you know, if I had know someone that's to your point is is I look at my strengths over the years when I was sort of fish out of water selling these complex technical products worth millions of dollars. Yeah, my strength was at the you know, the beginning. Yeah, you know, it was it was the connecting with the prospect. It was building the trust. It was doing deep discovery. It was, you know, as we got more and more technical, you know, I needed sales engineering people to help. But um yeah, you still have to have people that can have initiate those conversations. Yeah.
0: Um so for us and another thing I'm uh, talking about uh, specialization, I'm actually now hiring marketers, you know, directors of marketing, um mm-hmm. in on doing pre-sales. Um, and so we we have two sales roles available right now. Um, it's two roles that roll up to the sales org, but one of them, given that we sell to marketers, uh, right. we, have, we have a marketer on the sales team right now that that does uh, really good at talking to other marketers and you know doing demos and things like that. And it's working so well that we've decided to hire another person. And so now Love we're it. having people who have been directors of marketing at companies. Established demand gen workflows and um, and programs, and that will come on board, and then they will be essentially like a spokesman that creates thought leadership, but then also is there to do the demo uh, with the salesperson, so that a marketer mm-hmm. can be talking to marketers so instead of you know feeling like your salesperson is selling you as a marketer. The marketer is just having a conversation with you. The salesperson is still on the phone, and you know they do the qualifying and they'll do the closing part. Um, in the paperwork part, but what we're, we're putting marketers in the middle part of our sales conversation uh, because at the end of the day, you know our job is to help the marketer be more you know effective at their job. yeah, And trying to convince marketers to get robots to do their you know job that's been done by humans in the past sometimes can be uh, difficult uh, And so we figure, you know let's have marketers explain why it makes sense to have uh, you know AI and machine learning um, you know automate the, the workflows.
1: And make you obsolete. <laughs> well, it's not necessarily obsolete. I know. I'm just I'm just kidding. It's from the perspective of people listening.
0: Yeah, you do have a lot more more time now, and so we think you know, um, you know that creating UTM tags and and you know uh, creating campaigns where you spend 20 minutes in, in LinkedIn to create one campaign can be done in you know, a matter of you know minutes, and you can do right. x you know in, in the same amount of time, and so that's where we're trying to do. And you know, machines cannot. Are not good at being creative, right? Um, doing thought leaderships and you know webinars and content, um, you know, machines being can't. human. So, right. so we're, what, what we're saying is, let's stop doing all the manual work for create marketing campaigns and just go do more thought leadership and content, um, so that you know you can experiment. Uh, what we're trying to do is saying, let us enable you to do experimentation at scale because we don't necessarily know which. You know, ad is going to work better, but let's right. buy ten ads instead of just doing one ad. Let's you know, let's get you to go build ten ads, and then let's do multivariate experimentation see which ads are performing better. So that's the way that we're thinking about it.
1: Well, and to your point, though, too is is you know, I think too often people thought, well, geez, my as an employee, my part of my value, my differentiation is I know how to do these these processes, these repetitive uh, tests that could be mechanized or automated. And your point is, yeah, is let's have the humans focus on the things that humans do best. Yes. And if we can use AI and machine learning to do the others, perfect. And they should embrace that and not be afraid of it. Unless they're afraid of you know, the fact they don't know anything else other than the, the process. So, um, question for you is, is, is what I've been asking a lot of people recently is, and you've been in sales for quite a while, is, is how did you learn how to sell? Who taught you?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. I haven't thought about that in a while. Um, so there's two people. Um, there's really two areas where I learned a lot about sales. Uh, so my first one is um, I came out of college. I studied economics. I said, you know, I want to I want to be a, a financial advisor, do wealth management, and I mm-hmm. got this job. And uh, as an as a, I was still a, my senior year in college. And I was introduced to somebody that was a broker at Smith Barney back then. And he took me on as an intern mm-hmm. and he taught me and he came from Boston. Boiler room style is how he learned. And he brought me you know, like he made that uh, a reality for me. And so I was pounding the phones. This is in 2001. So it's like people just <laughs> want all their money and, oh, yeah. um, and then I'm there t- trying to call them and, and say, Hey, you want to talk about wealth management? And uh, I got pretty good at talking on the phone. Um, it was short conversations, you know, just getting people not to hang up the phone and open up, ask questions, send a follow up email. But that was the first job I had in sales, was just pounding the phones and trying to book meetings for some financial advisors at, at Smith Barney, which is now part of Morgan Stanley. And I did that for about a good six to nine months, pretty effectively. And then I transitioned as a full time job at at, uh, at Smith Barney, and I think I worked there for a couple of years. Early in my career, and that taught me how to do prospecting, taught me how to get on the phone, and just you know activity base and and so on. And so that was really good experience, really hard, um, but really good.
1: So that guy was like a coach or a mentor for you, he in was. teaching you this. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yep, he was a financial advisor, and he, he was he was taught in like I don't know, in the nineties, uh, boiling room style, and and. Um, in, uh, in Chicago, in New York. And so, uh, but then he moved uh, to the, the Bay Area. So uh, he was still pretty young at that time. And so it was nice to have you know, somebody that's you know, only 10, 12 years older than me at that point, just mm-hmm. me the ways. And then I um, decided to get into sales, outside sales. And I worked for a company called Paychecks. And mm-hmm. I worked for Paychecks, but it turned out to be five years, uh, which looking back, I'm like, I wish I would have left after a couple, but. Really happy where my career is today. So you know things happen for a reason. But that said, I was at Paychex for five years, uh, outside sales, and uh, wearing a suit, a lot of door to door. um, And I learned to become really good at selling face to face. And um, during my time there, I would do uh, there's it's all about stats, right? It's like you know how many calls did you have, how many meetings you had. Everything was just like. Um, you had like a, a sheet and you would just check off, you know, all your activities and things. And so I got really good at um, sitting down with people, understanding their needs and their pains and, um, you know, offering solutions uh, around payroll, HR outsourcing, health insurance, workers' comp, tax credits, and things like that. So that for five years. Um, and I, I learned a ton. Um, and, then, uh, and then I went into tech later in my life. So I was like, I don't know, 31 or so. When I went to my first tech job. So
1: but during that time, let's say you were at paychecks, again, were you just learning through experience? Did you have a coach or a mentor? Or were you, you know, observing what your peers were doing? Or you know, what were sort of the, the major influences?
0: I would always look at who's at the top of the leader leaderboard and just observe what they do. And then I would ask for time with them, you know, every, you know, couple of weeks. Um, Can I spend some time with you? Can I go in the car with you? Because this job is really much out in the field. And so I Mm -hmm. spend the day with them and I'm like, just see how they do their job and why they're successful. And that really got me to become really good really quickly there. And and I think that's one of the things I, you know, then I went to Glassdoor after that, which I didn't know anything about, you know, inside sales or even selling websites or advertising or anything like that job boards and so on. And, um, you know, within a few months at Glassdoor, I just sat down with all of the best reps and I just learned so much so quickly. You know, this is before, you know, Ring DNA was around where, you know, recording your calls and doing evaluations and all that. And so um, you just had to do it live back then. And so uh, I would just, you know, spend like a third of my time listening to other people pitch and some of the new people were like why are you spending so much time evaluating other people's pitches and I'm like well that's so I can get to their level and me right. you know you know making mistakes by myself you know I will not develop as quickly if I'm the one you know um, you know talking all the time so I want to learn and that really helped
1: yeah I, mean, I and the reason I asked this is is and driving toward this is you know I think people sort of there's sort of five categories of of learning, I guess, for sellers. I mean, I, I say there's, you know, coach, you have coaches and mentors, you've got, you learn from your peers, you learn from your customers, mm-hmm. um, you have your own self development things you do, the books you read, the podcasts you listen to, and so on. And there's company supplied training.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and look, in my own case, is, you know, having not been in sales for four decades. Um, you know, if I stack rank those and say, well, geez, I, for me probably the coaches i look at them you know, break down by percentages i don't get 100% what my influences are I, and assuming everybody learns from their experience so we'll we'll say that's the baseline but yeah you know, probably 50% was coaches and mentors that were influential um, maybe 20% my peers maybe 20% myself 10% customers and i mean i Six weeks of training, my first year. Eight weeks of training, my first year in sales. My first year in sales, four decades ago, and you know, I tried to forget that as fast as I could.
0: Oh, really? Um, for me, <laughs> Paychex training was amazing. Um,
1: okay,
0: yeah. They're they're, they're <laughs> sorry for saying this, Paychex, but from a software standpoint, they're they're well behind um, other other HR softwares. But from a training perspective, holy cow, that you know, they shipped me off to two weeks. Uh, Rochester, New York. Mm-hmm. I got—I think I went four times or five times over two years, and then I was like in advanced sales training. And their training program was amazing. And I learned a ton about um, sales, and so that—that that definitely made me a much better salesperson when I went to startups later in my life. Because most startups, especially like the kind of startups I joined, which are you know, around Series A, there is no infrastructure. It's like mm-hmm. figure it out as you go and a lot of people struggle with that and had i not had the you know 5 years of paychecks you know having a really amazing uh sales training organization i don't know that i would have been that effective um so quickly um you know my right. my willpower and my work ethic is definitely there but learning quickly um and and wanting to learn from others i think a big part of that was um you know paychecks, being able to uh, offer really quality training programs um, for their employees.
1: So if you had to stack rank yours and say, okay, coaching between coaches, peers, customers, training, and learning on your own, you know, to sort of add up to 100%, where would it look like for you?
0: Well, mm-hmm. um, not sure, but I do think that uh, I had some good mentors along the years that I've learned from, um, and some were, were were my peers, although I still considered mentors. Um, and so I would say uh, peers and mentors at the top, followed by training too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, That's interesting. One thing I try to do, you know, I've tried to do at the last several companies I've been at is, um, and this is the first time I've, I've implemented a, a learning management system so early is that, you know, at Glassdoor, we, I feel, uh, I mean, at G2, we lost a couple of years and mm-hmm. that I didn't get the LMS in place early. And so me and, and my, um, my, um, counterpart, Clay, um, um, who, who built out the sales org there, we were just had to repeat ourselves every training class cause we didn't record everything. Um, and so this time around we're like, we're just going to do everything, record everything. Right, And then we can update the content, but at least everything is always going to be saved so that when we hire somebody, we don't just have to keep repeating ourselves every month. The content's already created. Yeah, we can refresh it. But I just want to make sure that as we scale, we don't have to keep saying the same thing over and over to different people and you know, maximize our time, mm-hmm. which is something we didn't do effectively last time.
1: So right now you said you have five people in sales. Do they all report to you?
0: i uh, know they so i moved out of sales as, a, as my day-to-day functions oh that's right yeah that's right so um currently i oversee the um uh, several teams uh, customer success uh which is the first time um mm-hmm. overseeing customer success and then we have ad operations as well which is part of it um, we also have partnerships which i'm overseeing and then sales and so Clay Bentley, um, who uh, he and I met at Glassdoor 10 years ago. He spent four years at G2, and then he came on board here as well. And so he's taken over sales, and so that's his day-to-day functions. Um, I'm currently overseeing the customer success team. Um, so there's like eight people on that team, so that's the team mm-hmm. we're overseeing directly right now. And um, and then you know, partnership is a team of one right now. So, um, uh, But those three teams are all up to me right now.
1: Okay. Well, it, it's, I meant to lead into a question about, in general, in terms of, of, you know, we're talking about how sellers learn. Is you know, one thing that seems to be clear is that, I believe, is that really the biggest barrier I think, I, I think I'm, I spent a lot of time thinking about, okay, how do we improve the performance of individual sellers? And yeah, talk to tons of people about it on the show. I read a ton about it, talk to experts about it. And it I sort of, Coming down to this, this, thought that you know the biggest barrier to improving the performance of individual sellers are sales managers. Mm-hmm. That you know we focus a lot on enabling sellers, but we don't spend much time thinking about how do we enable sales managers. And and I've sort of come up with this idea that <laughs> that you know is it, can sellers improve faster than the rate at which their sales manager improves. And meaning, are we really you know, if you look at we spend twenty billion dollars a year on sales training in the United States is just a tiny fraction of that is spent on actually training sales managers, yeah, and I keep sort of toying with this idea as well, what if we you know let's assume that the twenty billion that two billion spent on training managers and eighteen is spent on training sellers? What if we flip that? What would happen?
0: Yeah, I'm not sure, but I think we would have some better
1: managers. <laughs> yeah, I think we'd I think we'd sell a lot more in general.
0: Yeah, yeah, and the, the interesting thing too is you know who who becomes a manager, um, and this is a conversation that you know I've had multiple times with, with people. You know, you have your top reps, they're like, "I want to go into management," and I'm like, "All right, great. Why?" And they start telling you reasons. I'm like, "I don't think that management's for you because everything you've mentioned is about you, uh, mm-hmm. and if you want to go into management." It, it's not about you, it's about your people, right? It's about developing your people and getting them to that next level, wherever that is, right? And so that's one of the things that I think many times people want management. And when I you know, I interview a ton of people, um, and then we do performance reviews, I'm like, you know, what do you want two to five years from now? Oftentimes, you know, they're like, oh, I want to go in management, and you question them, why? And you're like, are you sure you want management? I think you just motion, mm-hmm. right? Um, but it sounds like you you, you want to be um, own your own schedule, um, and so that's one of the things that I think is important to have is is before you you talk about you know, training or the management team, what what are you trying to get to? You know, what are your goals and aspirations? Is management really the thing for you? And I don't think we do a good enough jobs, and I haven't seen it at companies that I've been at where they do a good enough job finding out like where do you want to be and where should we put you for your future aspirations as, as an individual contributor in the company versus mm-hmm. going definitely going into management because I don't know about you, but oftentimes the best salespeople are not the best managers.
1: Yeah, I think we've we've all experienced that. Um and oftentimes there are great salespeople that are great managers as well. I mean it's but it's your point is are their managers Coaching them, helping them develop, understanding what they really want to achieve, in order to make sure they take the right path. And I and I see one thing I'm seeing companies do more, which I I personally like, and I've done uh, even years ago, was rewarding individual contributors. Sometimes it's sometimes it's a title they want, Mm -hmm. right? It's it's some some sign from the company in addition to the compensation that there's recognition for the contribution they're making that's that's more substantive than just being a seller I mean I know people that have VP titles that are individual contributors yeah but they are bringing in you know tons of revenue they deal with you know the main strategic accounts or what have you and I think companies aren't creative enough in that regard to say yeah we can we can do these other things that that have perceived value both to the person and the way they're perceived by others that, because I sometimes I think people think that promotion is the only way to really have status.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's part of it. I think pay is, is, a, is a big part of it as well. Um, but yeah, it's recognition or praise, right? That's usually the reason people are in sales is they want one or or both, right? <laughs> right recognition.
1: Or, yeah, if, or, I said, or both. Yeah. So, sort of last question for you is: is um, Yeah, I was again reading something recently. I was talking about that, that a lot of what we're doing in sales in terms of, of training and, and some of the tools and technologies they're putting out are really geared to sort of dumb down sales. Um, and I, I was struck by this phrase I read in an ebook book put out by a, a uh, sales tech. SaaS company uh, sales tool that uh, said that you know the goal of their product was to reduce the reliance on the judgment of the seller. And yeah, you, know, you and I talked about earlier about you know having humans do the things that humans do best. And I thought, wow, that's 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 really a slap in the face of sellers, as you know. The whole goal of this enablement product is to. Reduce our reliance on the judgment of that that human who's the seller, um, I always feel like the goal of training and enablement should just be the opposite i mean are we are we dumbing down sales too much
0: i mean i, I don't agree with that sentiment right I mean because if you're going to remove the and and limit the scope of what the salesperson can do or or, or say um and not trust them right right hire somebody you have to enable them like. I trust you. I hired you because you're really good. Here's a job. You're interested in the job. Here's like the training we're going to give you, and then I want you to go out and do it yourself. And when you need help, come to us, and you know we'll, we'll talk about it and we'll teach you on how to you know uh, handle these situations as they come up. But you have yeah. to trust the people and enable them, because otherwise, you know it's just a job um, and it's not in your career, and they they won't go you know you know work really hard to be super successful for the company if they don't feel that the company trusts them. And so I think one of the most crucial thing about management is that one is you have to understand what your employees want, right? What are their goals, life goals, career goals, Mm -hmm. so forth. And then two is tell them, like, I trust you, right? Uh, And I'm here to help you. So, you know, they'll walk through, you know, they'll break down walls for you if they think that you always have their back and you trust them. And removing that, I just, I don't believe in it.
1: I don't think yeah I, th- I feel like the goal of of enabling sellers is to enable them to better exercise their judgment you know to be able to ask better questions have a deeper understanding of of the client and what they're trying to accomplish and you know being able to gather and synthesize you know what they're learning into a you know a proposal and an offer and a, a vision that that is compelling and yeah I, I just don't see any advantage in trying to Remove that part of the equation away from sellers
0: totally totally agree um, you need you need trust and um, I don't think I wouldn't want to work for somebody who you know doesn't trust me wants to put guardrails guard on on my day-to- day task and micromanage me it's probably one of the you know most effective ways to you know demotivate me is to <laughs> tell me like you have to do it this way um, and you cannot you know, go out of you know the, the the you know limits the box that we've put you in. Um, that would be extremely demotivating. Uh, and, and
1: but isn't that isn't that a lot of what happens though in SaaS? I mean, the companies you know I I talk to there's a large fraction. You know, we've got this process, and the process tends to be more about from the management perspective, is They want above all else, they want compliance. And I don't know about you, I and mean, you. Your early sales experience sounds like it's fairly similar to mine on the field, but talking to tons and tons of customers every day is, yeah, we had a process, but, but the expectation was that we were going to shape that process to fit our strengths yeah. as individuals.
0: Yes. Everybody's got secret sauce, right? Um, you know, Sales is really hard and, and there's different people. There's people who are really good at relationships. There's people who are really good at challenging um, and so on. So everyone's got their secret sauce um and i think that you need to em- empower that and let people you know figure it out and say like this is what works for me and do it but yeah you do have a framework right you need to, to you know if it's a qualifying call you, you need to figure out like is there a budget and what's you know can they buy and who else would be involved and what's their timing and whether they're pains, You got to get that on the first call. Sure. I don't care how you go about it. Do you ask it on the beginning, or do you pepper questions throughout? You know, do you start more with rapport building and talking about the weather, while other sales trainers like never talk about the weather? Um, <laughs> you know, and so like I really don't care how you go about it. I just need these, you know, five things to figure out on the first call, right? And then on the second call, like these are the things you need to figure out. But you can. Do it however you want right because a big part of sales which is the thing i love the most is the interaction part it's the storytelling right it's the engagement and now we're right. doing it you know on video and it's not nearly the same right because you don't you you don't walk out of a zoom call and even though you think you've crushed it and you're like oh my god this was amazing it's not the same as if you were in person you go mm-hmm. you go in to see a you know a huge customer or a prospect that's you know and you're there to, you know you present and you're going in person and you have that connection and then you walk out you're like, oh, you feel like a million bucks. That was so exciting. I don't get the same from a Zoom call. It's yeah, it's okay, but I, I do miss the human interaction. You, you talked about trade shows. like I miss trade shows. I really <laughs> miss going there because I have tons of friends that work at other right. tech companies. And that's the one time a quarter or you know every couple of months that we hang out is at a trade show and now like there's none of that. You know, yeah, we can text each other, but you don't have like the, the human interaction. And I think that's a big part of why I love sales so much is is that. And I don't want to make my employees feel like I they have to follow my framework. As long as they do the couple of things that are required by the task, do it however you want.
1: Well I I have to first of all I agree hundred percent. Secondly is is at least based on my experience with you know, eight hundred episodes of the show and more is like yeah, it's a minority opinion in certain areas, especially in sort of the inside sales world is where, yeah, I think that, that we have the situation where managers oftentimes, frontline managers, don't have enough experience to have confidence to enable their people or allow their people to have that freedom. And so they feel like they have to be more controlling because they don't know how to enable them to to do it on their own.
0: Yeah, and I, I do think it starts at the top, right? Um and I think usually that's something that's pushed down from you know from from uh, down the org chart, and so I think it really depends on on who who is the leader of the you know depending on how big your company is like, but who is the leader of you know that group, um, and how do they manage? Um, because everybody else below will will you know emulate what is coming from the top.
1: Mm-hmm. Cool. All right, Olivier. Thank you. We've run out of time. So, if people want to learn more about uh, metadata, how can they do that, and how they can how can they connect with you? Yeah, of
0: course. Um, so, you can find me uh, LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter, o e g on Twitter, and then you can also uh, find metadata.io as a the website.
1: Perfect. All right, Olivia, stay safe. Yeah. Chat soon. Talk to you soon. Bye. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm ever so grateful for your support of this show, and I want to thank my guest, my friend Olivier Labe, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating or review, let us know how we're doing, well, we'd appreciate it. And you can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help, and thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.